Bridge. I want to welcome all of you across our network as we continue in our what-if journey through the book of Philippians. This has been a great series for us to walk through this summer as a church family. And if you've missed any part of it, I encourage you to go to heritageqc.com and under the media tab, see what you missed. We just have a few more weeks in this series before we step into our fall launch. So I invite you to be praying about that next season for us. But for today, you might be wondering what the deal is with the chair. <laughs> the chair is a symbol of how instead of letting go of some things in life, we can actually end up carrying them around and we don't need to carry them around. We can place value on things that actually don't matter most. We may think we might need them or they come in handy down the road, but they really don't matter most. That The chair can represent a, a habit or a hobby or an addiction. It could be a desire we have or, or our own status or a relationship. It can even be a, a tragedy, a, a wound or a loss in our life. And we, and we carry it around to, to do one of two things, to justify or satisfy. We use them to justify when we position that thing in our life that it will allow us to then position ourselves to be able to say, because of that experience in life over here, I'm now going to live this way. But because of that reason, I have justification, which is really just an excuse to do what I want to do. Because of that betrayal in my life, because of what happened over here, now I'm going to do things my way and get what I want from this direction. We use it to justify. But we can also take the same issue and turn it around and use it to satisfy. We say, because of that thing, because of that injustice, because of what happened, what I was deprived of, I'm going to now do this the way I want to and satisfy my desire. The problem is, neither one of those will ever satisfy. Because whatever the chair represents... They're inherently an example of us putting confidence in flesh rather than God. Moving authority and lordship to ourselves. They will never satisfy. And there'll be obstacles for us experiencing all that God has for us in life. So we don't need to carry chairs around, but we also don't need to carry around the things we, we carry around on our backs, in our hearts in our private lives. But we still carry them. We carry them around, and every time we do, we complicate life. But life's already complicated enough. We don't need to complicate it anymore. I came across an advertisement this summer. It was actually a, an advertisement for a GPS system at a rental car facility. And, and on this poster, it had three lines. And, and I really want to draw your attention to the second line. It says, make your journey from A to B as easy as A, B, C. Come again? <laughs> do you see what I see here? <laughs> if my journey is A to B, why do I need C? Don't give me C. C complicates things. C makes my journey longer. C is just something I have to carry around. If my journey is A to B, don't give me C. Now, I get what they're doing, and I kind of like their marketing, but I think it illustrates the point that I think we take and carry and add things to life that don't need to be there, and it's A, B, C, when it just needs to be A and B. And every time we add a C, it complicates things. And as long as we carry a C around, a chair around, we will never be satisfied. We will never be happy. We will, we will even be frustrated until we let go 
of things of this world that don't matter to chase the things of the next world that do. To, to live to love God. To know Jesus. But how do we do that? How, how do we overcome the, the disappointments in life, the questions, the setbacks, the, the garbage of life and know Him? It starts by valuing what matters most. And last week we asked ourselves the questions, what if we cared about what mattered most? What if we cared about the cause of Christ most? And this week I want to take the same subject matter, I want to look from a slightly different angle and ask ourselves a different question. What if we wanted Christ above all things? That's your first fill-in if you're tracking in the note guide. What if we wanted Christ above all things? What would happen? Not, not just cared, but actually wanted and pursued above all things. See, Paul actually begins to talk about this in the next section of Scripture that we're going to dig into today in the third chapter of Philippians. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it, click, or turn to Philippians. It's in the New Testament. This is a letter written to a church plant, a personal letter by Paul. It's, it's one of four prison letters or prison epistles, along with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Philippians is, it rounds out that group of four. And it's called that because it was written while Paul was in prison. In fact, he wrote Philippians while in Rome under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard for up to two years. A two-year journey where, where during that time he could share the gospel with anybody who came. And he also wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. And in our journey over the last few weeks, we've been actually focusing in on understanding the implications of one statement that Paul made in chapter 1, verse 27. He said, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Man, it, it's, a, it's a clear directive. It's a bold call. But it's layered in its application. How, how do we actually do that? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now last week we saw how Paul was describing his particular decision not to place confidence in flesh or in his own human ability or even his, in his achievements as a way of living a life worthy of the gospel. He was counting all of those things loss. And he says that specifically in verse 7. And, and, and we ended in verse 7 and 8, and that's where we're picking up today. And, and in a moment, I'm going to read down from verse 7 to verse 11, and I want to encourage you to follow along in your scriptures. I want to follow, encourage you to listen in. If you don't have a Bible, the scriptures are in your note guide scattered throughout but I'm not going to put them on the screen. I want, you to, I want you to follow in the scriptures. I want you to listen to what God's saying to you through his word. And I again want to encourage you to use the observe, interpret, and apply process. What's it saying? What does it mean? How do I live? And there's even notes next to the scripture for you to write down what God's saying to you through his word today as we study it together. So I'm going to read through it and then we're going to walk back through each section in our time together. So here we go. This is Philippians chapter 3 starting with verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We're starting where we ended last week, where Paul's making a very clear declaration. It's verse 7. He specifically says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Consider loss for the sake of Christ. That, that statement, for the sake of Christ, we could be really saying because of Christ. But it's not just because. It's by Christ. It's through Christ. It's on account of Christ. That the very reason is Christ and his cause. It, he, can, he counted those things lost because of Christ and by Christ and through Christ. And what was once in in Paul's life, what was once valuable and important in his life, is now out and no longer is valuable. What was in is now out in his life. And I don't know if you've ever taken a look at some of the lists that come out that are the what's in and what's out lists for the year. Lots of different organizations put out those things, but the Washington Post every year puts out a list of what's in and what's out for the year. And most often they're not talking about morality things, they're talking about culture and fashion and and gadgets. But I want to share just a few things from the Washington Post in and out list for 2016. Check this out. Here's the first one. Out is ride sharing. In is sharing ride sharing. I'm not sure if that's a double negative or really what that means in there. If you share something you've already shared, but it's, a, it's now in, ride sharing's out. Let's go to another one here. Selfie sticks are out, umbrella cameras are in. I don't know what an umbrella camera is. But somebody needs to tell the selfie stick people that umbrella cameras are in. I don't know who makes this list, and I'm not advocating its accuracy. Here's the next one. Indoor trees are out, and indoor moss is in. I think I need to buy some moss for my office space. That's all I know from that. Next one is out. Instant gratification is out, and perpetual discontent is in. I think that's the natural cause and effect. When your instant gratification doesn't work, you're perpetually discontent. That's in. Next one. Sparking joy, sadly, is out. And sparking controversy, sadly, is in. And then, thoughts and prayers are out. And background checks are in. These are... A few of the items from the Washington Post list of in and out. And I don't know who gets to decide, nor am I advocating the accuracy of them. I share this because Paul had his own in and out list. What he's identifying in this section of scripture is a list of things that were once in, but now out. Because there are things that are now in. It's his own in and out list. And one of the things he says is that personal gain is out. It was once in, it was once what he fought for and sought. Personal gain is out and loss is in. Sacrifice and suffering for Jesus is in. He goes on to say that dependence on self is out. 
depending on his own ability, his own accomplishment, his own credentials, that's out. And now dependence on Christ is in. What he's doing is shifting his, his values and priorities and, and agenda for Christ's priorities and values and agenda. But he doesn't stop there. He, he takes into account everything that he has accomplished in his entire life journey. And he says, you know what? I count all of that as out compared to Christ. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. If you remember, Paul is writing from prison, so he's living in a context where he has lost all things. He's incarcerated. Yet he's not giving in to the temptation to pick up the chair and use to justify or satisfy. Instead, he's counting all of that as loss and choosing to fix his attention on Christ. That what's in is Christ and his cause. What, what if we wanted Christ above all things? Now you may say, Sean, I get this, I like this, I, I follow Jesus, and I think I'm doing this, but I'm not, I don't really know for sure if I'm doing it the way that I should be. Well, let me give you a very easy way to begin to assess whether you're living here or living here. And it's just to consider what you insist on. Just consider what you insist on in life, or even what makes you angry. See, do you, when you... When you're working with a group of people at work or in school on a project together, do you insist on people knowing that, that you were contributing into that? Do you insist on knowing that it was, it was your idea? Do you insist on people knowing that you were right and so you say, I told you so a lot? What do you insist on? If we just turn it slightly and say, what do you get angry about? What upsets you? When somebody accidentally damages a personal belonging, do you get, do you get angry about that? When you suffer a loss or you lose a loved one, do you, do you get mad at God? When you lose your health, you lose your job, how do you respond? What do you insist on? What do you get angry about? See, life has hard things, and we, we experience pain and loss, tragedy, but in the midst of those things, it is Christ who provides an anchor in that storm. And, and Paul understood that, that ultimately it was Christ and him alone. That, that to, 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 to thrive in life was Christ. To, to barely survive would be to live here. And he knew that we could thrive, that he could thrive. What if we wanted Christ above all things? everything else. You know, this part of the scripture speaks to the values and priorities that Paul held. Man, he shifted from his own to Jesus. And he had a complete devotion that gave him the ability to let go of the things that didn't matter most for the sake and cause of Christ. 
If we were to jump back to verses 5 and 6, we can see some of the things that he considered lost, that he discarded and set aside. He, he let go of his pure lineage as a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. He let go of his heritage as a Hebrew of Hebrews. He cast aside his, his legalism as a Pharisee. He cast aside his own pursuit of a, a cause and the zeal that he demonstrated in the persecution. And he cast aside his own self-righteousness that he measured as he followed the law. Paul set all of those things aside for the sake of Christ. And he not only discarded, like said that they were the lost, he, did, he counted them as garbage. We saw last week that the terminology he's using in that statement is really literally feces or, or scraps from the table fit only for dogs. He counts all of that as rubbish, as garbage, that he may gain Christ. Paul would lose it all if it would mean or allow him to gain intimacy with Christ. What if we wanted Christ above all things? Above everything else. When I read this passage, it, it causes me to pause and to consider what I would do to know Jesus. And I think the question for all of us is, ultimately, what would you do to know Jesus? What would we do to know Jesus or to, to know Jesus more? What's the thing that you're carrying around that keeps you from knowing him that you just won't release? You're, it's satisfying and it's justifying something, but it's not the full life that he has for you. What would you do to know him more? Daily time with him? Getting up early to pray with him? Gathering regularly with the church? Well, what about letting go of, of nice things for better things? Letting go of the things that burden us for freedom that Jesus provides. Let's, let's do this. And Bettendorf, you can hop in on this with us. I just want you to turn and look at somebody. Just turn and look at somebody who's near you. Don't give them a creepy look. Give them the nice smile. If, you, if you're a joker and you need to do the creepy look, just finish with a nice smile. All right? So just look at somebody near you, make eye contact, and end with a smile. All right, good. You got that? Now listen, what would you do to know them? To get to know them. And if you looked at somebody you already know, what would you do to get to know them more? And if you looked at your spouse, man, one of the things I love about marriage is you can spend a lifetime getting to know your spouse and still not know them fully. So whether you know that person you looked at or not, what would you do to get to know them more? Probably hang out with them, right? Talk with them. Listen. Do things together. Do life together. You, you ultimately, you're, you're spending time with them. We know how to get to know people. We do it all the time. But what if I switched it around and said, what would you do to get to know Jesus? Is it the same? See, we actually can know Jesus. The, the word that Paul's using in verse 8 about knowing Christ, it, it doesn't just mean facts and knowledge about him. It, but it's talking about an intimate relationship with him, to know him personally. He's not talking about information. He's talking about intimacy. And, and to know is not the same as being known. <laughs> to know is about facts. Being known moves beyond facts. I like to think about it this way. When it comes to social media, many, uh, many people who engage in social media, they want to accomplish two things. They want to be known themselves and to know. 
Most people get on. They want, they want to be known and they want to know. They want to know facts. They want to know information. Very few people create the space on social media or anywhere else for others to be known. To fully know others. To move beyond facts, to move beyond data, to actually knowing them. If you follow me on any social media, you may know that I'm married with two sons. But you don't know how we handle conflict as a family or how we handle hurt as a family. A lot of times we just stop with what we know and we don't get into actually knowing. Move from the facts to the relationship. And when Paul says knowing Christ, he's referring to that being known reality. It's, it's more than data. And I wonder if you know Christ that way today. Or if you're willing to know him that way. Because he can be known. He makes himself known. It was A.W. Tozer who, I like the way he said it, he said it this way. God can be known satisfactorily only as we devote time to him. And if you're tracking in the guide, this is the bottom of page two. God can be known satisfactorily only as we devote time to him. We, we have things and we do things in life, but they can never be the place we find our identity, place our hope, or place our confidence. We need to be really careful not to consider achievements and abilities so important that they get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. They may not be inherently evil, but they absolutely can become chairs that we carry around to justify or satisfy rather than letting Jesus be the one who justifies and satisfies. I shared last week that one of my chairs, a part of my journey was running. <laughs> that running became so important to me in that workout that it started to push out my time alone with God and my journey with Him. And the Lord had to teach and reteach me to position me rightly before him. God can be known satisfactorily. Jesus, we can know him. What would you do to know him more? Paul, Paul understood that Jesus was the key to life. And, and he would let go of anything else to follow him. Jesus talked about this himself in Matthew 16. Here's what he said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Count it all loss. Count it all loss. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Count it all loss. Whatever, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Count it all loss. What if we wanted Christ above all things? You know, I truly believe that God doesn't need more people living out of competence. He needs more people living out of brokenness. Competence positions us with information to perform, to, to do in order to be. But I think the Lord wants us to sit and be with him with dependence on him in brokenness, in humility, in submission, so that out of our being he leads us to doing in his power and his strength. Broken people know him in order to first be. 
And I think he needs more broken people than competent people. What would you do to know Jesus more? Because quite honestly, there is nothing more important than our relationship with God. Nothing is more important than our relationship with God. We may have those things to do, like I said, but they should never take the place or find our identity in them or place our hope in them. We've got to be careful not to let them become chairs, like, even like I did in that running journey for me. We've got to release those things. There is nothing more important than our relationship with God. And I wonder how yours is today. Is there anything of higher priority? Is there anything you're carrying around to satisfy and justify that you really don't need to? You've added C to the equation. You only need A and B. Paul said, let it all go for the sake of Christ, for his cause. But that's not all he said. Look with me in verse 9. He said, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Look, righteousness is something that is received. It's not earned. Jesus has already done everything possible to position us to be reconciled to God through his sacrifice, his life, his death, his resurrection. We receive it by faith. We don't, we don't through facts and information, perform to receive it. We don't earn it. We receive it clean and clear by faith in him. It's righteousness not of our own. It's through faith in Christ. There is no amount of rule-keeping, self-discipline, self-help, or religious ritual that can make us right with God. Righteousness, that right standing with God, only comes from God through Jesus. We're made righteous and clean and holy and chair-free by giving and releasing our life, our priority, our trust, our focus to Jesus Christ. He's the fixer. He's the mediator. In fact, Paul wrote in a letter to the Corinthians, he said this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be the sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. Receiving that gift through Jesus Christ, we can actually become the righteousness of God. Jesus is mediator. He is the substitution. And if you've not yet had the conversation where you give Jesus authority in your life, where you allow him to do exactly what that verse says, I got to tell you, I love you enough to tell you that you are not in right relationship with God. And life stinks. We cannot get there on our own. But I got to tell you, we can get there. And you can get there right now, today. When you make a choice to put your trust, to put your freedom in his hands. And you place those chairs in his hand. And you seek him for justification and satisfaction and nothing else. He gives life you can have the conversation with God today where you move from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's A to B. It's not A, B, C. On the back of the note guide are some simple instructions and an example prayer that I encourage you, if you've not yet reconciled your relationship with God through Jesus, that this is what you do today. Life is too short and death too certain to live out of fellowship with God. And this is where it starts. 
And if you're someone who has made that decision in the past, but somewhere along the way, your A to B journey has added in some, some C's and some D's and some E's and some F's, then maybe today is a day where you reaffirm that original commitment of A to B, of giving your life to Him. What was once in is now out. And you value and consider Him above all things. Reaffirming that commitment today can move you back into right relationship. So here's a summary of Paul's in and out list, if we could. Here's the first one of the journey that physical circumcision is out and heart circumcision is in. It's about the heart. It's what's happening inside more than what's happening externally. But also what was out is confidence in pedigree and what is in is confidence in Christ. It's not who we are or where we come from. It's who we are in Him today. It's confidence in Christ. Also what's out is the law of God, but the Spirit of God is in. And finally, what is out is confidence in performance and what is in is rejecting performance. If I were to take verses 1 to 11 in chapter 3, I would say that these are the things that Paul identified as the outs and ins in his life and a call to the Philippian church to do the same. Now listen, Paul was not disowning his heritage or, or, or even betraying his race. He was rejecting false confidence in himself. He was letting go of using his own strength as a path to righteousness. He still followed the law of God. He just didn't do it with legalism. He did it by the Spirit of God. He wasn't pursuing righteousness by the law. He was pursuing righteousness through Jesus. He wasn't canceling out the law. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so Paul still followed the law. He just didn't do it out of legalism. The dude was still circumcised. But he now understood that it was not just about the body. It was about the heart. That God looks at the heart. He cares about the heart. And he was still a Hebrew of Hebrews. Of the tribe of Benjamin. But he knew it was about being saved by grace through faith. He still had all of his journey. But he just had a new lens to look at it. He He no longer put confidence in the things that he had accomplished and what he had done. And he didn't carry them around as a chair either. Or use them as justification. He no longer pursued righteousness on his own. He rather pursued righteousness of God by pursuing God himself through Christ. And that changes everything. What if, what if we let go of nice things for better things? To chase Jesus above all things. Let's move to so what as we wrap up this part of Scripture. You know, Paul very clearly says, look, I once considered personal gain and dependence on self as valuable. This was in in my world, but it is out. In fact, everything about who I am is out. I can now account it as loss for the sake of Christ. And I insist on the things of Jesus, not the things of me. And then he goes on to make this very bold declaration in verses 10 and 11. Look with me if you would. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is a bold and clear declaration from Paul. He was not satisfied with what was. He was striving and seeking what could be. 
And he was counting all of this as loss for the sake of Christ. He didn't settle for good enough. He had a hunger and a thirst for righteousness no matter the cost. And Jesus talked specifically in Matthew 5 about that hunger and thirst for righteousness. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be fulfilled. And Paul lived a life that he was fulfilled. This was the secret to his ability to contentment. This was his secret to to have joy and to persevere amidst all of the difficulties of life, all of the the things that could become chairs that he would carry around and use to justify and satisfy. But he chose Jesus to be the place that he would seek justification and satisfaction. He could have picked up those things, but he didn't. This is the secret to it. it. This is why Jesus came. It's why he walked the earth. It's why he died on Golgotha. and It's why he emptied a tomb. So that we can have life to the full. And if you're new to the faith and you're saying, you know, I believe and I've trusted Jesus, but I want to make sure I'm chasing the right things, then you chase this. You seek to live out Philippians 10 and 11. If you're somebody who's walked with Jesus for a long time, (laughs) this is still where your bread and butter is. I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. But what if we wanted Christ above all things? When we do that, he makes us new. And I got to tell you, a, a chair, a chair can be a reputation. A chair can be our credentials. A, a chair can be our accomplishments. And the chair becomes the thing that we look to, to give value and purpose to our lives. But it never will. The chair could also be that more negative thing, that wound, that loss, that tragedy. Which we then say, that is my reason, which is my justification, which is ultimately just an excuse for me to do what I want to do. It will never satisfy. And it will always, whether it's a positive chair or a negative chair, it will always shift focus, attention, and authority away from Jesus to ourselves. And we put confidence in flesh. We put our trust there and our reliance there and our hope there. But Jesus says, trust me. Know me. And he can be known as long as we devote time to him. So so let go and let God grab a hold of the things that matter most. Life in him is A to B, not A, B, C. Let go of the C. Release the chair. Push it away. Life is too short to live out of fellowship with God. And he has more for you in this life. And he wants to make you new. In fact, I want to offer you a prayer. It's a prayer I'm actually praying for you, but maybe you can use this prayer in your own quiet time this week. Help us to know that we may, help us to know you that we may truly love you. And so to love you, that we may truly serve you for your name's sake. Amen. I love the simplicity of that prayer, but I love the power of that prayer because he can be known. And the really cool thing is that when we set aside all the things that that we're tempted to carry, we stop carrying these things, we release them to him and we consider them a loss. And Jesus makes us new. What God can choose to do next is amazing to me. The very things that we carried around, he can choose to then turn into a platform. When we no longer carry them in our own hands, but we release them to him and we count them all as lost, they become a platform for us to proclaim. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings.
becoming like him in his death. So somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What if we wanted Christ above all things? What if you wanted Christ above all things? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, it is in the name of Jesus and only the name of Jesus that we come before your throne right now with confidence. God, this world has a lot of things in life that, that create pain and sadness and difficulty. There, but there are things that also bring joy and, and satisfaction and pleasure. But God, whenever any one of those things shifts our focus from you and we start to place our confidence in them rather than you, life goes sideways. And Father, I pray that you would forgive us for when we've done that. I pray that you forgive me for when I've done that. Where I've used reason as justification, as an excuse to do what I wanted to do. Lord, I want, I want your son Jesus to be the reason. I want him to justify and satisfy. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, every one of them, that they too would be able to so want and desire Jesus above all things, that he would be the source where they satisfy and justify. God, I pray for those that have not yet made decisions to follow Jesus. Even now, just talk, just whisper your love and draw them to you. And they would move from A to B not pick up C. For those of us, Father, who have added to what shouldn't have been, help us to release that, to set it aside, count it as loss, to count those things as out, and to look at your son Jesus as in. Not just today, Father, but for the, all the days of the rest of our lives. That's what Paul did. That was not a fad moment. He committed for the rest of his life. It cost him his life to consider the cause of Christ above all things. So Father, by your spirit, I invite you to move upon us as we step back into worship through music. May you move upon us in a new way and help us to know you more. We want to know you, Father. We want to know your son, Jesus May we know more. I love you. I pray these things in his name. And all God's people said, amen.